appreciate all of you. It's good to be here. I'm in a series that is called Enemies of the Soul, as you might have guessed from what, where, the way that the McRandalls led us at the communion table, is we're talking about some very real enemies of the soul, these spiritual forces that are trying to drag us off the path of following Jesus and trying to create havoc in our lives. We're going to be talking about these biblical concepts of uh, the devil, the flesh, and the world, something that New Testament authors were not shy about writing about. This is the way the ancient people understood these things, and I think it's practical for us today because these spiritual enemies are still very real and very active. But we're not, it's not a weird thing to acknowledge them. It's not a weird thing to talk about them. We don't need to be scared like I talked about last week. It's not a scary thing because uh, we know what their tricks are. We can identify them. We can outsmart them. And even when we can't, we have Christ to lean on. So that's the good news. That's what we're going to be talking about in January and February in our sermon times together. This morning, we're going to be talking... Uh, more than you ever probably cared to or wondered if you would about the devil, you're going to go home with a lot more information and, again, a lot more tools for not falling into the devil's traps. Okay. I want to start by showing you a video that we made a few years ago when my daughter Lucy was just, uh, maybe, I don't know, 11, 12 months or something like that. It's a video of her being destructive and being excited about it. Uh, go ahead and show this video, Claire, and then I'll tell you why we're starting here. Okay, well, you guys not realize it, but you just clapped for the devil because <laughs> the reason I showed you that video is because the, the, the delight, uh, the dedication that my young daughter made toward destroying any block tower that was built, something you spent time working on, something good that was created in our living room, she would very quickly, very intentionally come along and destroy it. And I wanted you to see that because I think that's a good image for the purposes of the devil. His whole thing is to be destructive, to take something good that God wants to do in our lives or in our world and just knock it over and celebrate it. Uh, it's adorable when Lucy does it, but it's not so adorable when it wreaks havoc in our lives. Uh, there's a lot we could say about the devil. Um, it's, it's not just something that we're drawing from, from popular mythology. There's a lot of misconceptions and misunderstandings. We want to get what we understand about the devil from Scripture. I don't have enough time from the pulpit this morning or in this series to, to tell you everything you need to know, but we did put together what I think is a relatively helpful one sheet, uh, just about where you can go in the Bible that talks about the devil, the origins of the devil, the person, the personality of the devil, what he does, how he does it. If, somebody, if you had a bulletin, if you got a little order of worship when you came in this morning, will you hold it up? If you didn't get one, there still should be copies in the foyer. On the reverse side of our order of worship, that's uh, what you can take home with you. Um, just some information. You can do some further study on your own. Just 
because it's interesting. And it might be some things you already know. You may not have heard these things. Uh, don't read it now. Uh, maybe it was a mistake to draw your attention to it. But that's for you to take home and check out. This morning, what we are going to do is just acknowledge that the main method that the devil uses to try to bring forth destruction in our lives is lies. The devil is a liar. Lies, deceit, untruths, circulates them, whispers them in our ears, tries to get people to believe things that are untrue. That is the devil's strategy. And we know this. We have an extended teaching on the devil and his method of spreading lies from Jesus. And that's the text that we're going to spend time in this morning. This is from John chapter 8. Let me give you the context real quick before we go and take a look at what Jesus says. Jesus, we're going to look at a scene in the, the ministry of Jesus where he's in Jerusalem for a festival. And he has this heated exchange with some of the religious leaders there. If we look back in John chapter 7, we see that Jesus wasn't even going to go to Jerusalem for the festival. His family was like, hey, you should come to the festival with us. And he's like, "Uh, I don't think so. I need to lay low because I already have a bad reputation. There's already these religious leaders who are trying to kill me. And we see that in chapter 7. They they come to Jesus and they try to seize him. They try to arrest him. They're trying to get rid of him because they don't believe he's the son of God. They're trying to get rid of him. And uh, he's able to kind of escape their grasp like you can do if you're the son of God. But anyway, when we get to chapter 8, it's at the festival now. Jesus decides He said he wasn't going to go, but then he changes his mind, and he says, okay, I will go. And the thing that he thought would happen when he got there actually happens. The religious leaders, they get in his face. They surround him. We think, you might read John chapter 8, and it's the Pharisees asking Jesus questions, like, well, what about this, or what about this? And it seems like kind of a civil debate. You might picture maybe Jesus is up at a podium teaching, or he's in a town square, and there's people here kind of, you know, stroking their beards and going, oh, that's interesting. Oh, but wait, I have a question, or oh, I'm not so sure, I have a challenge. That may be what you're picturing, but I want you to erase that image in your mind. I want you to remind yourself that they were trying to kill Jesus, and at the end of John chapter 8, it even says they get so mad at the things that he says to them that they pick up stones because they're ready to stone him to death. So forget civil, cordial debate. This is more like a mosh pit. This is more like people grabbing each other's scruffs and saying like, hey, you need to explain yourself. It's more like a mob. And to help us keep this picture in mind, I have asked Claire when I read this passage from John chapter 8 to play background track of an angry crowd. Go ahead and play that now, Claire. Let's, let's see what that sounds like so we can adjust our expectations. So this is, Gabe, Gabe, bring the volume up a little bit. I don't think he's back there. Never mind. <laughs> Uh, I want you to imagine that you're in Jerusalem. And Jesus is going to tell some, say some things that are true, but they're not going to sound true. Jesus is going to have to explain things to people who have been deceived by the devil. And here's what I want you to pay attention to. You're going to hear Jesus refer to the religious leader's father. He's going to say, you're sons of your father. You believe what your father taught you. And they hear this and they think, oh, who are you talking about? God, our father? Are you talking about Abraham, our father? But Jesus, we're going to find out, is saying, no, your father is the devil. That would make me want to stone somebody to death, too, probably. So, listen with first century ears. Listen in this tumultuous environment that it took place in. Jesus teaching about the devil. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son, capital S, he's referring to himself, if the son sets you free, then you will be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, and yet you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. There it is. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. There it is a second time. We're not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, then you would love me. I have come here from God. I have not come here on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are, able to, you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And yet, when I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says, but the reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Ooh, good timing. Nice job, Claire. So that's what Jesus tells us about the devil in a very like heated exchange in this kind of crazy environment. Like I said, they pick up stones after this and they try to stone him, but they're not able to. So we do know where the story of the life of Jesus leads. It's so fed up. They don't believe that the things that he's saying are true, that they crucify him. But in this, in this exchange, I want us to zero in on some things that we learn about the devil. The first indication we see from this crowd of people who are believers in God, they're believers in, in the word, they, they follow the Torah, they, these are religious folks, and yet Jesus is just saying, you guys are missing it so hard, you can't even see the truth. The first indication that they're from the devil is that they're trying to kill Jesus. That's a pretty obvious thing. If someone's trying to kill you, they're probably not doing God's will. Especially if people are trying to kill God in the flesh himself, God's only son, then that's not a great start. The second sign that they're influenced by the devil is they don't recognize the truth when they hear it. And this is what Jesus is trying to point out to them. He says, I am the truth. You, you'd recognize the truth if you could hear it, if you had ears for it, but you can't. And so all you believe are lies, and lies sound like truth to you. Your, your priorities are so mixed up, and that's because you're believing the truths, the lies of the devil. And he calls them sons of the devil because that's the devil's thing, lying, being a deceiver. Jesus, in this passage, calls the devil the father of lies, and he says, when the devil lies, he speaks his native language. Kind of like that old joke that people will sometimes make about, um, <clears throat> I don't know, lawyers or, or whoever, you know, how, how can you tell if the devil is lying because his mouth is moving? It's a soft joke. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> but the point is the devil always lies. You cannot believe the things that the devil say. He will always deceive. 
The devil lied and deceived and misled the Jewish leaders in Jesus' time. We see this from John chapter 8. But this is significant for us. Like, why should we care? It's an interesting history lesson until we acknowledge that the devil lies and deceives and misleads God's people today as well. We're talking about lies versus the truth. Let me give us a simple definition of what truth is. Truth is simply an idea that reflects the way things actually are. Say something, yep, that, that's my experience. Yes, that's the majority of people's experience. That is true. So let me give you an example. In this room, I would say these chairs are red. And we would all look and say, yep, yeah, they're more red than, than any other color. So that's, that's a true statement. As compared to if I said, yeah, these chairs in this room, yeah, they're blue chairs. You guys would look at each other and go, no. That statement does not reflect reality. They're not blue. Like, they are obviously red chairs and not blue chairs. And I, some, of, some of you are thinking, they're burgundy, Jacob. Don't worry about that. <laughs> they're more red than they are blue. This is the point. It's a statement. It's a thought. It's an idea that reflects the reality of how things actually are. This example is pretty obvious. More red than blue are these chairs in this room. So it's an easy lie to spot if I said, no, they're blue. You, no, no, no. That's an easy lie. But it's not always so obvious, the lies of the devil. The devil plants seeds of doubt in our mind about God, about other people, about ourselves. The devil twists the truth into something that is unrecognizable. He whispers lies that we believe. We don't even realize we're believing lies. And that's his thing. He does it so skillfully, we often don't even realize it's happening, like the religious leaders. Imagine this story told from their perspective. There's this crazy guy, and he's claiming to be of God. He has a personal communion with God, a personal audience with God. He's God's son. That's insane. We need to kill this guy. It makes sense to them because they don't know the truth. They can't believe the truth and see it when it's right in front of their face. That can happen to us as well. We live and we breathe and we speak and believe so many lies that when we hear the truth, it doesn't even sound like the truth to us. How do you know then if you're believing something that is true or not true? Recently in my household, I had to remove the word never from one of my daughter's vocabulary. She was saying never too much. And I said, mm, you, you're not using that word responsibly. So that's a bad word in our house. We're, just, we're not going to say that anymore. She would say, you never let me have candy. That isn't true. You never listen to me if I would say, like, hold on, like, I want to hear your story. This is great, but let me take care of this, and then, and then I'll listen to you. You never listen to me. You never let me have candy. You never say yes. Okay, we're not going to use the word never anymore because those statements are not true. I understand that to my daughter, they feel true. I know what she's trying to say, but those statements do not reflect reality. I often give you candy, probably more than I should. I love to listen to you. I want to listen to you. I, 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 want, I listen to you all day long. Just hold on a second. Like, never is not accurate. It's not true. It's easy to start to see how these statements become true to her. And then the narrative in her head is like, well, I never get candy. I never get attention from my parents. I just... That is not true. And I wanted to correct that because 
I, I have this, maybe it's a naive belief that when she grows up, she'll be, be better able to tell the difference between something that feels true and something that actually is true. And that the words that she uses, she'll use carefully so they'll reflect reality and she won't fall prey to the devil's lies as easily. But if I'm honest, I don't know how much of a difference it makes because I look at my own life and I look at the lives of most of the adults I know, we believe lies all the time. This is a prime example. This isn't just one of my young daughters whose brain isn't quite developed yet, not knowing how to use the word never. We say the same stuff. We tell ourselves lies like this. Lies like this that blame. You always do this. Of course you would say that. Of course you would let me down. You always do that. Or you never think of me. You never do what I want to do. I bet a lot of the time those statements aren't true. I'm just going to say, I bet those statements are always not true. You've got to be careful with always and never. We say them and we believe them in a way that seems true, but they really aren't. And what that can turn into is justifying blaming someone else. Wrecks our relationship with someone. That's like a good and beautiful relationship tower that God has built, and that's the devil coming along and going, ha, 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 boom, yay, I love it. When your relationships are in turmoil, we believe lies that blame. We believe lies that make us the martyr. I'm the only one who seems to care about whatever. Fill in the blank. No one cares but me. Probably not true. We believe lies that justify broken commitments. You know what? I'm just going to give up on this relationship. It's better that way if I just kind of distance myself rather than work at it. I'm just going to bail. That's probably what's for the best. We believe lies that shame. Shame ourselves. Shame others. No one cares about me. I don't matter. I'm all alone. No one thinks about me. Oof. I'm sorry if that's how it feels. Maybe it's more true for some than for others, but if we get this narrative into our head, it can take us into some very dark places. I have a couple friends right now. I'm, I don't really know what to do in this relationship, but they're struggling with dark depression. These thoughts have become their main thought. It's like playing on repeat in their mind. I don't matter. And they'll text me things like, I'm thinking about ending my life. I'm not making this up. This is, this is where it leads. I... It doesn't matter. And they'll even justify it and say, like, the world would be better off if I weren't around for people to have to deal with. I wouldn't be such a burden to people in my life. And they're considering ending their own lives because they're believing these things that aren't true. You're not alone. You do matter. Don't we all believe that about anybody that God has created and loves and called and says, you're my children? I... But it's, it's such an insidious lie that people are believing that it can be, like I said, miles and miles of destructive lies that blame, lies that shame, lies that enslave. I'm only as good as the work that I'm able to do. People will only love me if I do this. I got to keep performing. I got to stay on the treadmill. And so many lies. The lies of the devil undermine the truths about God's existence and God's love for God's children. He whispers the lie and gets us to believe things like you're not loved. Nothing you do makes a difference. Nobody cares about you. God himself doesn't even care about you. Maybe God isn't even real. Because if he was, wouldn't he do more? Wouldn't he show that he cares more? Wouldn't he be more actively involved? You see, a lot of people believe these things to be truths. 
and not see them for the lies that they are. That goes against everything we sing in worship, everything we read in Scripture about God's just never-ending love to go after his people. He, this great love, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to demonstrate this great love. That is the truth that we hold on to, but we are up against a lot of lies, a lot of misinformation out there. We believe these lies way too often, and their path of destruction leaves us miserable. Kind of sad. Let's, let's bring it up a little bit. Let's, like I said, this isn't just bad news. Talking about Jesus and the gospel is good news. So here's what the good news. In John 8, Jesus doesn't just teach us about what the devil is doing and gives us a prime example of people who are falling for his lies. He gives us a strategy against the constant attacks of the devil. The antidote for lies probably guess it. Truth. Jesus begins in this section saying, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus, in other parts of John, says, I am the truth. My teachings are true, but I am the truth. What does this mean? Does it mean that the things he says are true, that we can trust in him when he reveals his identity as being from God, from the Son of God, having personal knowledge about the will of God. Yes, that is true, but it's more than that. Jesus says, I am truth itself. I am the thing that will save you from the destructive lies of the devil. I am the measuring stick by which you can know if an idea is an accurate representation of the way things are or not. Think about a lie. It's a word or a thought or a belief that does not accurately reflect reality, like with the red and blue Chairs. The way to filter these lies out is to replace them with ideas and thoughts and words that are true. This battleground for the spiritual war that we're talking about, it takes place in our minds, in the world of thoughts. Isn't it interesting with that in mind that Jesus came as a rabbi? He was a teacher. He was a conveyor of truth. He taught ideas and thoughts that reflected the truth of the spiritual world of God and how that intersects with our earthly, physical existence. That's good. The passage that Kelly read for us earlier, I want to read again. This is the Apostle Paul weighing in on what you do to keep your thoughts focused on Christ, to, to filter out the lies and to believe and follow the truth. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is the way, this is the strategy to hold on to the truth and to filter out the lies. If you look for the negative thoughts in your life, my guess is you are going to find some. But part of the problem in our lives is, one, like we said, we believe lies so much that they become indistinguishable from the truth. So it's, it's hard to go, is that true? Is that from God? Is that not? Is I, am I just having a bad day? Kind of can be uh, blurry. And the second problem is we simply don't make time to look for them. We don't hold our thoughts captive and, and make them subservient to the will of God, to the truth that we learn about from, from Jesus in, in Scripture. We just don't make time to do that. There's thoughts flying around our head all day long. Thoughts from us, thoughts from others, thoughts from media, like, like ideas and blah, 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 blah. We don't, like herding cats. We, we can't get them all together and say, like, oh, no, these ones are true and these ones are false and hold on. But that's what I'm hoping that we'll do 
that we'll be intentional about doing at the start of this new year. Paul advises us to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ, to examine it, to test it, to hold it up against the truths of the Word of God and see how it measures up. And I think that if we do that, we will be better at not falling for the tricks of the devil, not letting him knock over our towers, not believing lies, but be living in the truth. And the truth will make us free. I've been doing this for the last couple weeks. I knew I was going to get up and talk about this. As I mentioned before, a lot of these ideas come from a book that I encourage you to read. Um, and it's written there on your, on your sheet that you came in with for information about that book. Dan's got a copy in the back. Wave that, Dan. Look, it's colorful. Um, so I started doing this. I started paying attention to the negative thoughts that I had, especially the ones that recur. You know, you talk about having like a recurring dream, like, oh, every once a month I have a dream that I signed up for a class and forgot to go to the class, or I have this recurring dream that I'm falling, or, or whatever. I think the same is true with the, the lies that we believe, or the negative thoughts that come back in our heads. Like, there's recurring themes. The same people, they're, they're aimed at certain, like, frustrating relationships, or anyway, the things we justify, I think, are not novel. So I started paying attention to some of these, and I noticed that there's a recurring theme in my life when it comes to negative thoughts. And the theme is that I believe more often than I care to admit, lies of lack. Lies that say, I just don't have enough blank. I tell myself this a lot. I, I, I started noticing, like, you, you do that a little too often, Jacob. I just don't have enough time. I just don't have enough help. If only... I would do these things. I would be more whatever if only I had more time, patience, interest, information, intelligence, fill in the blank, lies of lack. I just don't have enough of this. And I would use that as an excuse. These thoughts would make me feel self-righteous and they would lead to frustration and anger and blaming others and even like giving up on things that I should be doing. I would, I would do this. I would do this good thing, but I just don't have enough. What are you going to do? They're not true. <laughs> Once I started recording them, realizing how often they kind of come into my brain because I was not taking them captive, running around like crazy, that's destructive. Here's the truth. I started noticing them. Okay, what are we going to do about this? I found a scripture that I could attach to replace these lies with. And that scripture is one you probably heard before. It's Psalm 23, but just the first verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Okay, if the recurring lie that I tell myself is, I don't have enough, I need more, I need more. Scripture tells us, ah, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I have everything I need. The lies of lack tell me there's always something missing in my life. Always, but that's not true. The truth is, I actually have a lot. Maybe I should focus more on those things. The lies of lack tell me that I'm alone. That's not true. The Lord is with me. He is my shepherd. He is always with me. And you guys, you're with me. God has put so many wonderful people in my life. If I believe, ah, I don't have enough friends, I don't have enough help. I lack nothing. The lies of lack tell me that I'm unprovided for. That is not true. The Lord is my shepherd. He is with me. He leads me. He guards me. He provides 
for me. This is, is more true than what's playing in my brain. And my guess is there's something going on in your brain that needs to be held up against the truths of Scripture. That's what I want you to be intentional about doing. As I've been thinking about this, I've noticed, and this is kind of already happening in certain areas. This past week, especially, you may know that there's a Thursday night group that meets here at church uh, for, for worship, for prayer, for praying for one another. It's a wonderful group. If, you, if you're looking for a group to meet with on Thursday nights, boom, back there in classroom six. Every Thursday, 6.30 to 8 o'clock, that's also written on your, your sheet. The information is there. They go through scriptures. They, they dwell in the truths of God's word, and then they write response prayers to God using themes and, and language from those prayers. And I was praying along with them this week, and their, their passage they were looking at was 1 John 4. The first five verses. Claire, I threw this up there. Will you go ahead and put this on the screen? I want you to see this. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not, is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and you have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. But we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. This is what we're talking about. This is true. This is not true. Pray to that prayer along with the Thursday night group. I sent them my prayer for them to read some of the other prayers that I heard. And then Wednesday night, I go and I spend time with the teenagers. And Brittany is teaching a wonderful lesson on identity. And she reminds teenagers, there's 100 people in your life telling you who you are, who you aren't, who you should be, what you should believe, what you shouldn't believe. But here is who you should be listening to. You should be listening to God's Whatever expectations or untruths or lies are being spoken into your life, you need to turn the volume down on those and turn the volume up on things like this. And she gave this to students, and she said, this is the truth. This is what you should believe. You are fearfully and wonderfully made in God's eyes. You're the salt and light of the world. You're complete. You are loved. You are worth delighting in. You are forgiven and redeemed. You are beautiful. You are God's handiwork, his craftsmanship, his masterpiece. Side note, but related, Brittany's doing an awesome job with the teens, you guys. She is coordinating our youth program. She is doing the lion's share of the teaching. Every Wednesday night, you will find her here. Um, we've, we, invite, we recently kind of merged <laughs> with another youth group in town. I want you guys to know about this because I think this is a good thing. I think this is something we're doing intentionally. It was another uh, small group of teenagers that had only been meeting on Zoom. Even after the Sunday church resumed their services, they were, were having devotionals, but online only. And their leader was saying, I really would like to, for them to be in community with other teenagers and just faithful Christian adults. That they, and I said, hey, come on down to the well. And they've been coming the last several weeks. We had a full house last Wednesday night, and it was so good. I got to watch and say, man, this is God's truth being spoken boldly and uh, intentionally. It's so good. 
It's so good. I needed to share that with you because awesome things are happening here. But Brittany acknowledged, and I'll acknowledge too, this isn't just, hey, teenagers, don't believe the TV. Believe this. This is a good message for all of us. We believe lies about ourselves. But the truth is how much God knows us, loves us, calls us into a life of faithfulness, and this is what we need to fill ourselves up with. So like I said, I've been doing that throughout these last couple weeks. It's been my mantra. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I'm frustrated. I'm feeling unsupported. I get mad. I can blame people. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. God is so good to me. This is what I want you guys to do as well. From here, this is how I'm going to close us today. Is I want you to do this yourselves. One, I want you to start paying attention to the negative thoughts that scroll in your head, the ones that are on repeat, the recurring ones especially, the things that we believe are true, the things that make us frustrated with people, the things that make us feel tight in our gut, just like, oh, it makes me so mad. Maybe that's the devil knocking over a tower of an important relationship in your life. Maybe it's a trap. Maybe it's a lie. So I want you to write it down. Like, literally, get a pencil, write it on paper, or, you know, use your device. That's what I've been doing. I'll share some of these with you next week. They're not, they're not pretty, but they're, it's, they're honest. And it's part of that evaluation of taking every thought and making it captive to the truth of Christ. Okay? So that's what I want you to do. Write them down. And if you want to jump ahead a little bit, you're like, what am I doing with this list of negative thoughts? You can start to replace them with truths from Scripture. You can ask Brittany to send you a copy of this one sheet that she gave to our students on Wednesday night. These are truths God, this is, this is stuff that you can bank on. That's where we're going to be heading. I heard one time that when they train federal agents to spot uh, counterfeit bills, you know, sometimes people make phony money and, you know, pass it off as real. There's like a whole agency that's their job is to try to find that and to like know the counterfeit from the real thing. When they train agents to spot counterfeit bills, they don't train them how to spot all the fakes. I mean, there's so many out there. It could be different paper. It could be different ink. It could be different size. The, the plates that press them could be off in little ways. There's these security devices they put in our money to, to make sure that it's real. They don't teach them to look for those things because there's just so many. The way that they train agents to spot counterfeit bills is they give them the real thing, and they make them study that. It's hours and hours. Familiarize yourself with what the real deal looks like. And then, if you see something that's fake, you won't even need to know or be able to say why it's fake. You can just say, no, no, no. I'm so well acquainted. I, I know the real thing. This is my life. This is my job. That is obviously phony. That's not true. This is true. I think that's kind of cool. I think that's appropriate to what we do as followers of Christ. We acquaint ourselves so much with the truth person of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the words of Jesus, and we say, all right, this, this is what I want to know. This is, is what I'm going to familiarize myself with. This is so true that anything else, any other thought, any other attitude, any other philosophy or worldview that comes across that is contrary to this, I'm going to spot it right away. That's what this exercise is hopefully going to help us do. That's what happens on Thursday nights, the group that dwells in Scripture and says, this is so true. I want to spend all week in this. I want, to, I want to use this language myself. This is where we're going as we start this year together. And I hope that it blesses you. Honestly, it's, it's been these last couple of weeks, having that truth 
over my, over my life and just running every thought through, well, is God my shepherd? Yes. Do I lack nothing? Yeah. Anyway, um, that's where we're going to end this morning.